Thanks for joining me for another episode of Bitcoin One-on-One. Today, I have the pleasure of having Steve Patterson here. Hello, Steve. Hi there. Yeah, I thought you were saying, uh, thanks for joining me. I was going to say, oh, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so Steve is an independent philosopher, currently in Arizona, but you've traveled all over the world, especially New Zealand, right? Yeah, I spent some time in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And you've written two books. One is Square One, The Foundations of Knowledge, uh, a philosophy book. And the other one, which I'm more familiar with, is What's the Big Deal About Bitcoin, mm-hmm. which you wrote in 2014, early on. And I remember that book was featured um, by, by Fee. So mm-hmm. when I was working at Fee for four years, um, that was one of the books we were promoting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was a first Bitcoin book. I'm currently working on my second Bitcoin book. Um, hopefully, we'll be done by next year. We'll see. It's taken a little bit longer than expected, but it's going to be documenting a little bit more of the the history and what I think happened to Bitcoin, uh, which isn't so good. So hopefully, we'll we'll be able to talk about that today. So it seems that every time I see your posts on Facebook, I usually disagree with what you have to say, um, but but I think that can be the basis of an interesting conversation. Yeah, and. Maybe you can start at the top and talk about um, talk, talk about the problems and opportunities we see with the world, and the, maybe I can go more specific. Um, ultimately, I think uh, human beings everywhere are seeking to to live their lives and, and achieve their goals, and I think um, how can I put it? It would be great if everybody had the most opportunity to achieve their dreams, but there are a lot of impediments that people all over the world face to being successful and and living prosperous lives. And um, I I think that the major one is that uh, governments um, interfere with people's ability to be successful in all kinds of ways. Um, I think we we agree on that general point. And one of the big ways governments interfere with people's ability to be successful is they they steal people's wealth in all kinds of ways. Um, I'll stop for a second. Any immediate thought on that? Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, I uh, I got interested in Bitcoin way early on um, just for economic reasons. I thought the idea of having competing currencies was really uh, interesting kind of from a theoretical level also very important from a practical level so i'm kind of an unabashed libertarian type more more on the extreme end of things and i think it is a uh, urgently important that we have private monies um, that aren't issued by central authorities i think that's very important for people's well-being and i think the ability to control the money supply just gives centralized groups enormous amounts of power enormous amounts of power that always turns out to be uh, harmful for the average person. So uh, that was my initial attraction to Bitcoin was really just from that, that interest, both in like monetary economics and also kind of the hard money libertarians uh, uh, preference for uh, uh, decentralized market money. So for people that believe in limiting the government, there's been a political libertarian movement that I once was active in, but I, I gave up on that because I saw that it was not achieving anything. And like you, I focused on um, shifting the focus to to, to money. Um, do you have any thoughts on uh, the, the focus on um, achieving uh, limited government to political means as opposed to technological means? Yeah, I, I just am totally pessimistic on the idea that you're going to 
you're going to reduce the size and scope and power of the system from within the system. I don't think that has a strong historical track record. I think there's all kinds of th strong theoretical arguments you can give, talking about the incentives of the, of the system to maintain itself, that suggest our hope for freedom is not going to be voting for it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's realistic. So I'm much more optimistic in terms of technology and, you know, in, in my mind, if I had to say, you know, what is the most promising technological breakthrough that could potentially give a radical amount of freedom back to people, that'd be cryptocurrencies and hard money. Now, that's, that's part of the reason I'm so um, bitter on what has happened to Bitcoin, because from my perspective, I've been following it for a long time now, I think Bitcoin was hijacked over a period from roughly 2014 to 2017, the boundaries are a little bit fuzzy. Um, and it was turned into a completely different project. So Bitcoin as hard money as a currency made a lot of sense, very important. Um, and then a bunch of academic types took it over and said, no, no, you see, we have to change how the system was designed and it's going to have really high transaction fees. And there's going to be this future technology called the lightning network that's going to solve our problems. And I think it just ruined most of it. I, I think in practice that the new system that they've designed doesn't work. There are systemic problems that cannot be solved by these people. Uh, they haven't really thought them through. And so um, it, it's very frustrating as somebody who's come from it, from the libertarian angle to say, okay, we had this incredible breakthrough and then it was sort of run into the ground from my perspective. So question, what problem should Bitcoin solve? So I think we agree that government being short of money is a disaster because of inflation yeah. and because of the manipulation of the capital markets and all the destruction that creates. But what problem does Bitcoin solve? Yeah, so I think it solves a lot of problems. You know, one is, as you mentioned, that just uh, the restricting government's ability to inflate the money supply is enormous, gigantic, gigantic. But also there are practical benefits that are solved, like reducing the cost for exchange um, online. Like in the Bitcoin white paper, it talks about sort of uh, reducing the need for the middleman with digital currency. So I think the idea of having international trade online with practically free transactions, you know, maybe you can have subpenny transactions for, you know, I think that's reasonable. Um, there's enormous, just straight up economic benefit for that. Now, that the economic argument has changed a little bit since Bitcoin was released because we have better technology. So like back in 2009, credit cards were a little bit clunkier. You know, there wasn't, you know, PayPal was, I, I don't know, PayPal, it, when PayPal started existing, but it's not, wasn't as uh, integrated as it is now. And the other, like the payment apps on your cell phone make online exchange a little bit easier. So that, that has, I feel like uh, Bitcoin's lunch has been eaten a little bit in that respect. Um, but still the main, by far, the, the most important um, function that I see Bitcoin serving is originally to be a, a decentralized medium of exchange that could onboard the globe um, that can't be inflated. And I, I don't think, in fact, I, I don't think any of those promises are kept now by the new version of Bitcoin, um, not even the hard limit. Uh, of the supply of Bitcoin. So um, one of the Bitcoin core developers, Peter Todd, very influential, especially in a critical, uh, you know, Bitcoin's adolescence from let's say 2013, 2016, is on the record saying, well, you know, we might have to eventually increase the supply of coins. I know that's not popular, but we're gonna have to do that to continue paying for security um, because the uh, block, subsidy, block subsidy is going away. And if miners don't make enough money from transaction fees, well, maybe we're just gonna have to increase the block reward uh, indefinitely. 
so that we don't actually have a hard limit of 21 million. So I think that's totally possible. Um, it, that's a social phenomenon, whether or not that actually happens. Um, and I just, I am very, uh, very sad because uh, that is, if, if Bitcoin has really expensive transactions, you can't use it in commerce. And if it's controlled by a small group of people, we might not have the 21 million limit, you know, 100 years from now. So uh, Bitcoin serves many functions. And uh, I, I would, let's, let's look at two different functions. One is uh, global reserve currency, the store of value. Another function is the medium of exchange. So here in the U.S., we have so many different payment apps that are basically cheap or free and quite effective and have a low friction. So we have Venmo and PayPal and many other services. Um, as a medium of exchange, Bitcoin is not competitive. Why is that? Why wouldn't it be competitive? You can have cheaper transactions with on-chain transactions. Because cost is not an issue at all. For what do you transactions, mean cost isn't it? You I mean, pay Venmo is free. Your... No, Venmo is oh, free. Okay, right? not everybody is onboarded to Venmo. Well, and then you have, Zelle... you, have prob- you have problems accessing your money. You have to make sure PayPal doesn't deplatform you or Venmo doesn't deplatform you. Bitcoin is the best uh, uh, online payment technology we have, a big block Bitcoin, and the let, original design let, of Bitcoin. Let me back up. So we have different purposes. Let's, let's just say if Bitcoin was the global reserve currency, if it was only in and big banks and was never used for peer-to-peer commerce, it still solves the key problem okay, of what, what, inflation. What, in, incorrect, 100% incorrect. Let me tell you why. So if you listen to the, the people who have des- redesigned Bitcoin, they say, oh, it's going to be a, uh, centrally banks are going to own it. Okay, they're talking about um, issuing tokens that are supposed to be backed by Bitcoin that's held by central banks. So if, if you have central banks that are issuing tokens, that is not going to, it doesn't have to have the peg to Bitcoin. This is already the case. You have on, on uh, for example, Blockstream, which was the company that effectively took over Bitcoin development. Um, they are now marketing their liquid network as an alternative to the Bitcoin blockchain. And they are issuing their own tokens uh, and uh, other companies' tokens on the liquid network, which by the peg, way, they get- Peg uh, tokens. Uh, they're not pegged. They're, they're pegged if you trust Blockstream. So the way that the Liquid Network works is it has a, a group of 15 hand-selected companies from Blockstream that are, I forget what they call them, like the, you know, the guardians of the network. If 10 of those 15 decide to steal your money, poof, your money's gone. The network security totally collapses. But it is all public. So yes. what? It's public. It's fit. You're, you're trusting 15 hand-selected companies from one group. You're trusting money. You're going to tell me that that given the stakes and the power involved, those 15 people are going to be honest. For the, you know, they're going to make sure that there's a one-to-one backing of their tokens to BDC tokens. I don't think so. So there, there's the the ideal in which case Bitcoin is the the single layer that provides the global store value and peer-to-peer currency. Okay. But there is the technical reality that that is impossible. Incorrect. Physically Let, let's dive in. What do you mean that's in? Why, why would that be the case? I'm sorry. So for, forgive me for being frank. That's not close to being true. These calculations have been run for like a decade now. And you could have reasonably, you know, 600 meg blocks, let's say one gig blocks, rel- relatively small blocks, considering major technology that can onboard the world. You can run let's the calculations. See. You can actually have global money. Let, let, let's just on start. Chain. Well, let's just start this from the basics and maybe okay. people are listening that aren't familiar okay. with it. Okay. So every transaction uses mm-hmm. some data, right? So if, mm-hmm. if I pay you money, 
that requires some data. Let's say mm -hmm. it's it's a hundred uh, hundred bytes or yeah, hundred bytes. And um, if people are transacting every second, some quantity of transactions are being put on a single blockchain, single immutable blockchain. And so there, for a given throughput of transactions, it must generate some quantity of data. There's no get way to get around that, right? It's just math. Uh, that part is correct, yes. Okay, if as long as you have ones. Are, right. are in, require data, yes. And so that data must all be stored in one database. That's how the blockchain works. It's one database. I, it depends on what you mean by one database. So there's a few I mean, points we have to make here. Um, okay. You don't have to keep a, a, the, the UTXO set uh, history forever. You can, the, miners already prune the blockchain. So if you have a transaction that was made in 2010, you don't have to keep that. Miners don't keep that. Somebody has to keep it. No, you actually not from a technical standpoint. You don't. You can have. So if if you hold yeah. on, if you have a if you have a Bitcoin that mm -hmm. you purchased in 2010 and that you've never uh -huh. moved it since. Sure. In order for you to claim it, you must. Uh, uh, I, I said the history, the history of the UTXO. So if it's a if it's an active UTXO, I mean a UTXO by definition hasn't been spent, right? All right. So, so I'm talking about so the history of transactions. Okay. So all. Yeah, sure. So now you're saying that there's some archival nodes that have a full history. They can. Sure. Okay, so, and so you must have some nodes so that have I, I, do, I do want to make one technical point. Yeah. Um, you, in order to, for Bitcoin to function correctly, you don't have to have any archival nodes. So you could, in theory, this is never going to happen because there's no reason to do it because expenses aren't actually that great. You could, in theory, have miners sync up to the UTXO set and they're updating the UTXO set. And uh, that's the only thing that needs to be maintained. And for if the transactions just got too numerous, you could have it all pruned out of the blockchain. Let's 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 like uh, differentiate two things. The UTXOs okay. are, and I want to not get too technical because yeah. uh, people are listening that sure, sure. don't understand. Yeah. UTXOs are unspent Bitcoin transactions. That's not the blockchain. The blockchain is a much larger database that has all the all the hashes the miners produce, and in order to uh, verify that you in fact own some Bitcoin, um, you have to basically follow the chain of signatures all the way to the beginning. No, um, not, not, your, not yourself, not your own personal Bitcoin. So, so this is one of these myths that has just not died. You can verify your own transactions are inside the blockchain without having to have a full node. You don't have to have the whole entire blockchain. You can't verify other people's transactions but you can absolutely 100% verify the legitimacy of your personal transactions through SPV, which is how Satoshi originally designed Bitcoin. And there are multiple clients now that use, uh, well, some of them actually use the uh, full SPV, but for a long time, they use something approximating okay, so, SPV that allows so, individuals to verify their own transactions without having a copy of the entire Individuals, blockchain. but any, any, uh, any service operator, merchant If operator, you want to verify somebody else's transactions, then you need the copy okay. of the blockchain. Yeah. So for a Bitcoin economy, that there must be a lot of uh, full nodes that no, are able to verify transactions. No, 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 absolutely not. If, there doesn't if, need to be a lot. There only needs to be a, there needs to be exactly as many as need a copy of the ledger of everybody's transactions. How many is that? I don't think that well, needs to be too many. There need to be enough so that no entity can easily obtain a majority of the hashing power. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. We have to differentiate hashing power from nodes. So, so uh, Bitcoin is secured by. Uh, they're not being a 51% attack in terms of hash rate. This is totally disconnected from full nodes. Uh, uh, nodes Fine. do not secure the Fine. network. 
in any way whatsoever. Do you, do you agree so, with that? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so there's two things that are needed. Uh, one is for uh, uh, merchants, not individuals, that provide services to on a full node. No. And two. Why would they need to do that? If you because, if you're a merchant accepting Bitcoin, you certain, don't need to. No, no, you don't. That's not the case. If in you're any accepting Bitcoin, ever. you want you to don't. verify that that person owns. You the have Bitcoin. a payment processor. That's how the businesses have worked pretty much from the beginning. Fine. Well, why, payment, why in the world would you need to run your own node when you payment can outsource that to somebody? Yeah, sure. Of course. Well, that's, hold on. That's I, th I thought the whole yeah. point of Bitcoin was that we don't need payment processors, that you can no. broadcast your own transactions network. You can broadcast your own transactions. You can send and receive payments without payment processors. That's fine. If you're talking but about- But you want to verify that, that your somebody own owns the Bitcoin. Your own transactions. You do not- If somebody sends you Bitcoin, no, shouldn't you verify that they own the you, Bitcoin? So if somebody sends you Bitcoin, that means you, you have the UTXO. You have the information necessary to verify that that transaction is valid. If you want to verify some other party sent Bitcoin to some other third party and you're not a part of it, then you need the blockchain. But how can you? Most businesses don't need to do that. How can you, as a business? Well, let me disagree with something you said. Uh, you can have merchant services for Bitcoin, but I no. think that Bitcoin merchants should run a full node. That's part of Why the vision of Bitcoin. Why in the world? What, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. That that is a new idea. That was never ever the original idea. Satoshi was crystal clear. And multiple occasions, he did not design Bitcoin so that regular people had to run their own nodes. That doesn't make sense. I don't mean regular sense. people. I'm talking about merchants. Okay, merchants, merchants as well. Don't unless you're a cryptocurrency exchange, that you're going to have to run your own node, pretty much without exception. You can have a million and one. It's like saying it's like saying uh, businesses need to only accept physical cash. No, of course not. You have PayPal. You have a bunch of. You have a bajillion different options. But but the idea is that you should not have central entity like like square. No, that is never that has never been the idea. Where in the world did this idea come from? Do you know where this idea came from? I mean, I think it's bad. So so square for, for dollars processes let's say half the payments out there. If if now square is in the Bitcoin and people just trust Square, like most merchants just trust them that the chain is what it is. It's centralized again. That is okay, bad. So, so we'll have to come back to that because um, the the terrible ideas that are in BTC right now actually are going to require centralized uh, companies in a much more fundamental way than if we had on-chain transactions. So we'll have to come back to this idea of centralization because it's gonna you're, you're gonna okay. end up contradicting yourself. But I, I, I do want to respond to this idea. Yeah. Um, it is not feasible in by any stretch of the imagination to think that regular the the person that is going to repair my car down the street is going to be running his own Bitcoin nodes that he can make sure for some reason, he's not going to outsource this, that he's going to have to personally run a Bitcoin node that is totally disconnected from reality. That is never going to be the world that we live in. Never, never, never. It's a complicated thing. It requires technical knowledge. Nobody's going to do it. Because the technology is in its infancy. You have boxes no. now. You just turn it on. Why would they Bitcoin do that? It sinks. Do, do, you real, do you realistically think, David, that people are going to choose ideologically, regular people are going to choose to run their own Bitcoin node when they can just have a payment processor. If you have a credit card terminal, there's no ideology about it. If you want to accept credit cards, you have a credit card terminal. It's a full, relatively foolproof device that just accepts payments, right? If you have another device, which is like credit cards, but it's labeled Bitcoin, you don't have to know how it works. You just turn on and it works. Okay, it's it's so so credit card terminals are connected to payment processors, right? 
If you're gonna if you're gonna get yes. a credit card terminal, you have to call up right. Amex now they are, and yeah. Visa. Yeah. So if it's not reasonable to think that they're gonna have full payment pro- like credit card pr- processing software back in for themselves, that's it always goes through companies. And furthermore, the actual risks of accepting Bitcoin without a full note are marginal for lots of reasons. The the real world risks are marginal. Somebody isn't going to walk into your property, execute a double spend on you. You've You've got footage of them. That's like the risks are infinitesimal in the real world. So, so you agree that right Unless now, you're there's not exchange right now. There's not a lot of value to businesses point of sale, accepting Bitcoin. Uh, uh, okay. It depends on what you mean by, by Bitcoin. So, so right now the, the terrible network that's been ruined by a bunch of eggheads. Um, I think it serve, I think it, it, it creates negative value to accept it. It's a headache because then you have, or, or any crypto, whatever, Bitcoin cash, there's no uh, benefit to, uh, to not using dollars for a point of sale. That's not quite true. We can come up with examples where the costs are actually lower. And like for micropayments, for example, uh, Bitcoin, the original Bitcoin technology is still the best technology in the world for micropayments. People don't realize that yet, but you can have subsent transactions that have all the wonderful properties of Bitcoin um, right now. It already exists. So there, there, are, there are some use cases in which uh, it, makes, it makes more sense. But the but way nobody's that the doing system, that. Like, that's there, there's big, Bitcoin Cash is around, but nobody that uses that. Yeah, BSV is using, is another big block Bitcoin that is using micropayments all the time. I, I mean, I make it's, like it's technically 20. possible, but really, realistically, nobody's using that. What, what, I'm sorry, where do you get this idea? Are you following the BSV economy very closely? I, I use I'm it not. every day. I make 20, 20 BSV transactions a day. The bunch of apps that I use that are, that are using the, the blockchain in an interesting way. Give for me social some media, for Social media posts are on Bitcoin. There's a, there's a bet, an interesting, uh, clever um, betting app for NFL games that is using micropayments. There are people using it in like my understanding is that people projects are uh, using BSV to create an excuse to use it as opposed to being legitimate. That's not model. true at all. That you've heard this through the grapevine. Please, well, please it, investigate it, this yourself. It's in, not in the real I, world, I just have not come across a business that says, "Hey, we accept." What do you mean in the real world? So oh, so you mean in the real world, people aren't accepting subsent transactions? That's surprising. Yeah, I go to the gas station. And I can't pay a, for a subsent transaction. Okay, you got me there. I'm just but saying I don't the come internet, across which is where what Bitcoin was designed for. People are using it for micropayments right now. Let's let's get back to something else. So so I want to talk about fundamentals. Okay. Um, yes, good. Given a certain throughput, you must generate a certain amount of data. There's no uh-huh. way around that. Okay. Yep. So if the Visa network, I forget the number, processes like 60 million transactions per day. Probably bigger, but let's sure. just say. Sure. So it's just the basic mathematics that that yes. would generate so much data that, yeah. that nobody could how, run. How much data? Terabytes Have you looked day. at this at all, David? It's yes. 600 megabytes per for, 10 for minutes. Volume? It's trivial for, for, for massive scale, massive scale. Uh, I, I, could, I mean, I can get the numbers for you right now. It's 600 megabyte blocks and you get like, I think it's at least 100, meg, 100 let's see, what is it? It's 100, 205, I don't know, five, 500 transactions per second. Visa like does that. 150 million transactions per day. Okay, do, do the calculations. Let, let's, let, we can figure it out. Um, the, the, the numbers are embarrassingly low. They were 600 megabytes for, for something like a rough global scale uh, in you know, 2014. And that's nothing. That's 600 megabytes every 10 minutes. It's a, it's a laughably trivial amount of data. People are streaming onto their phone 
way, 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 way more data so, so, than would be required to process a massive amount of transactions on Bitcoin. So um, 151 transactions per day times how much is a typical transaction? 100. I don't know. We, we have to look at it. It's really if it's not. A, if it's 100 kilobytes. It's not 100 kilobytes for a transaction. That would mean you could have 10, uh, you could have 10 Bitcoin transactions per block because it's a, roughly a megabyte. You're right, you're right. It's, it's 100 bytes. Okay, divided by 1024 bytes to kilobytes, divided by 1024 kilobytes to megabyte equals 1.4 gigabytes per day. Okay, per day? Divide that, okay. <laughs> How many blocks? So, so uh, let's see, divided by 24 for, per hour and divided by six. And what are so, you? So hold on. So per year, that's uh, half a gigabyte. Sorry, sorry. Per, per, per day, you I'm said sorry. it was... Per year, that's half a terabyte. It's 1.4 gigabytes per day. Okay, so 1.4 per day. So divide that by 24, which is per hour, and then divide that by six, which is per block. Uh, forget block sizes for a minute. Let's no, 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 no. Let's see, what's the number there? What'd you come up with? 1.4 gigabytes per day divided by 24 hours mm -hmm. divided by six. Uh -huh. so, so that's uh, uh, 0 0.001, hold on. Um, that that's 0 0.001 um what unit are we gigabytes uh that that's uh that's 10 megabyte blocks yeah, that that certainly doesn't work out i'm sorry it's something I, like I, six yeah it's something like 600 megabytes for reasonable yeah 1.4 uh gigabyte per day divided by 24 hours divided by uh six blocks per per hour equals point zero one um uh gigabyte so times 1024 equals uh um how much 10 megabyte blocks is that what i'm saying so so that can't be right again i, I don't exactly want to know what the exact numbers are i'm just telling you i've done this okay. calculation multiple but, times it's somewhere from 600 megabytes to a gig and a half but, but for massive here, scale. here's my point Multiple per transactions year. per day per person. Okay. Okay. Now the point now, is per year. That's that's half a terabyte okay. per year. Half. Now, right? Okay. Two two things, David. Half a terabyte per year. That is a tiny amount of. That's a ridiculously small amount of information. You can. That's nothing. Okay. Per year. That that's not the right. I mean, that's not the right amount. It's actually more than that. But let's just go with that number. And and again, you can prune the blockchain. You're talking about the, the way you've just framed it, half a day, let's say it's a terabyte per year. That means you can have a drive with 32 megs on it and you can buy one of those drives every 32 years and put the entire Bitcoin blockchain on it. That's processing the world's transactions. Uh, a drive with 32 terabytes, you mean? 32 terabytes, sorry, I, was, I don't know what I said. 32 terabytes. So, yeah. so if it is, I think my numbers are-, are yeah, just I, I'm, wrong, I'm sure that they're wrong, yeah. But, but let's say one terabyte per year. Uh -huh. So 10, 10 years, 10 terabytes. Huh? So no Your tech guy. Does that seem like a lot? I'm sorry. What were you saying? What about it? It is it is above the ability of consumers to run a full node okay. at that size. Okay. Do you believe that, David? Okay. That sounds that sounds like you just read the Bitcoin standard. You're a tech guy. Do you seriously believe that people could not handle ten terabytes of data per year? A, a normal desktop computer can I handle that? You don't, okay, 
That is crazy false. Have you looked at the numbers? 10 terabytes of, is it the bandwidth? Is it the storage? What are you talking about? 10 terabytes? That's uh, nothing. It is not nothing because it it will keep going up. And this is a, how many visa transactions do people make per day? Somebody makes two or three transactions per day. I mean, this is, this is the, just one network. Visa is just one network, right? There's, there's many of them. So, so realistically, if people were using some micropayments and uh, this was the global payment network, be much larger. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. I mean, you're click- that is ridiculous. More than I, can, I cannot. I can. That is self-evidently incorrect. Go to Amazon. What are you talking about? That's not yes, if you buy specialized true. hardware. The point is specialized hardware desktop. that costs five hundred dollars. It's more than five hundred. It would cost a thousand dollars. Oh my goodness, a thousand dollars to get a computer that can process the world's tr- transactions. All can right, you imagine? So, so we're talking about just <laughs> for the first decade of Bitcoin, you're not have to buy special hardware. No more desktop computers can run it. Right? You have a thousand dollar entry point at least. So let's say. You have a thousand. Okay. Now, to be fair, this is underestimated. I think it's more than that, but we'll go with your numbers right now. Okay. A thousand dollars where you could have regular people who have no reason on planet earth to run a full node and verify the world's transactions have that ability. And, and this, this technology was stunted so that we could have one megabyte blocks and build second layers. That doesn't make a lot of sense, David. What is the issue of second layers? They don't work right now. There, there is no, there is no reasonable substitution or anything that comes close to being a reasonable substitution for on-train transactions. So, what is uh, the it, problem with second layers, which allow basically I just, infinite I just scalability? Articulated them. So, you said it doesn't theory, work, but how does it not work? Right now, so uh, uh, for example, the Lightning Network requires on-train transactions in order to work. You have to make an on-train transaction to open up a Lightning channel and to close a Lightning channel, and it's recommended you make multiple uh, uh, channel uh, uh, payments per year. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a system breaker if you have a network which costs $1,000 plus to make an on-chain transaction. Except it costs about 20 cents right now. Uh, right now, and why is that the case? Is that, <clears throat> the reason it costs 20 cents, David, is because people aren't using the network, right? It's if you were to have the blocks full, which they've been, you can have easily $1,000 transactions. It's already in the blockchain. Search the blockchain for $1,000 transaction fees. You'll find like thousands, okay? Okay, so right now it's an equilibrium of volume and fees. It's always an equilibrium, right? right? So if enough people try to use BTC right now, it's not very money either because the blocks are tiny. The, the fees skyrocket as they have multiple times already. And if that's the case, you cannot open a lightning channel or close the lightning channel without making an on-chain transaction. Now, these dummies that restructured the entire uh, Bitcoin model think they, they have no proposed resolution for how we're going to deal with $1,000 transaction fees, which you think it should be $1,000 plus to play for security, plus Lightning Network, which requires on-chain transactions to make. They have zero proposed resolution to this. Okay, I don't get this. Okay, so right now, the equilibrium fee is 20 cents, right? That is okay. the, uh, if the, if the fee was lower, there'd be more transactions. If the fee was higher, there'd be fewer transactions. There's, there's always an equilibrium. The more expensive Bitcoin gets with the current system, Okay, uh, I'm sorry. that's not the reason. So that's not how it works. The way that it works is as when blocks become full, 
fees yep. skyrocket because there is a finite amount of space because of the way they redesigned this system. There's a finite amount of space. And let's say it's, you know, 7,000 transactions, whatever. As soon as it's 7,001, now the person trying to make a transaction is bidding against all of the other people who are trying to get into the are, block. Are, are the blocks full right now or not? I don't think they're full right now. No, I would be shocked if they're full and you can make a 20 cent transaction. That's never happened. Why aren't blocks full right now? Because I mean, people aren't using the network. They have, there's 10,000 other cryptocurrencies that you know, probably 100,000 at this point. Why would you use a system that is orders of magnitude more expensive than other cryptocurrencies? Except no other cryptocurrency is being used for commerce. To, to okay, a significant that, extent. That's not true. Where did you get that idea? Are you aware that, that BitPay puts out statistics for saying how much different currencies are used in, in Okay, in so commerce? how much are it's they already used? used? I don't know. You can check their website. You can figure it out at BitPay. And also, like, th these are talking points. And, and, and I should say furthermore, uh, because I was around in the early days, Bitcoin was being used in commerce a lot. And then we experienced for the first time anti-adoption when the blocks became full. Steam was using it. It was being used to, you know, Microsoft was using it. And then they all said, you know, we're actually not going to accept it anymore. Why? Because the fees are too are full and the transactions are unreliable and people have a terrible user experience. So it used to be the case people wanted to use it. And then these dummies broke the system and now people aren't using okay, it. I'm looking at the BitPay report. Bitcoin is the most used crypto. Sure. It has 55 0.4% uh, okay. of payments. And how, how much? What's the number? What's the number of like uh, volume per month or whatever? Um, well, BitPay only has their numbers, which is 66,000 per month. 66,000 what? Transactions per what's month. The num what's the dollar amount? They do not list the dollar amount. Okay. Well, they, they used to. It was, I don't know, it was a billion dollars a year or something like here's that. Here's my point. Bitcoin is by far the most popular currency. Number two is Bitcoin Cash with 10%. Okay. So Bitcoin Cash is essentially free transactions, still has 10%. There's not, the point is, there's not demand okay. Okay. for cheap first of all, right okay. now. First of all, that's not correct. There was massive demand. And we have a, a, there is so much nonsense in the cryptocurrency sphere. People have no idea what to use this technology for. It is not surprised. It's actually surprising me that it would be 10%. Okay. People are so terribly confused. They think this is a thing you buy, you hold, and you retire on, which doesn't make any sense. Okay. So it was being used in commerce. I know, but I remember the press release when BitPay processed their first billion, they had their first billion dollar year in terms of transactions processed. If that's been reduced, well, I have a bunch of, a bunch of people I can name in person uh, that have perpetuated this ridiculous narrative so people don't know what the heck cryptocurrency can be used for anymore. But it absolutely, absolutely has a value. So your position is exchange. the market is wrong, people just ignorant? Uh, I would say the market of cheap is- trans transactions? Yeah, so like Litecoin doesn't have any uh, real value. Dogecoin was literally created as a joke. Shibu coin, whatever, Shibu Unio coin was a meme of a meme. Yeah, the market is ridiculously irrational right now. And I should say, with all due respect, there are a lot of people who position themselves as experts in this sphere and don't know what the hell they're talking about. They don't know. They don't know the basics. They haven't worked. They, they read that stupid Bitcoin standard book which says at the end that well, it would be impossible to build the, you know, make world transactions with this technology, fabricated lie out of whole cloth. Go back. I'm, so this is the subject of the book I'm working on right now. This is all myth and nonsense. The system scales perfectly well. It's an incredible invention. And it was taken over by people who created a narrative that has still stuck. So your position is that it is entirely possible to have these hundred terabyte blockchain 
because very few people actually need to run it. What do you mean hundred? Okay, so yeah, I mean, great, great question. Good, great if, question. If we use okay. it for market payments, it's, great, great, it will be yes. that. Great question. So my claim is that the original Bitcoin technology can scale to world level without any problems whatsoever. It was designed so that in Satoshi's words, this is almost verbatim, the network would centralize into big data centers, big server firms, I think was the term that he used, for miners, as it should be. There's a, there's a specialized industry for mining. They can handle massively big blocks. It can scale just fine. There's absolutely no technological reason why it couldn't scale just fine. There, and, and again, there's pruning, so you don't actually have to keep the records indefinitely. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons um, why it's not an issue. And I, and I should say that like Bitcoin Cash has already put out like 32 meg blocks, BSVs put out over gig, gig blocks. Which, which was nothing because they're so, the blocks are not full. What do you mean the blocks aren't, what do you mean the blocks the aren't Bitcoin, full? The Bitcoin Cash allows 32 meg blocks, but those blocks are not full of transactions. Actually, yeah, there's yes. very few transactions. What do you, where do you get this idea, David? Look at the blockchain. I tell you what, go, go to the, go, go to, uh, what is it? Blockchair. Go to the BSV blockchain and tell me how just search for really big blocks and tell me how many transactions you find that are really big blocks. So, so every, every now and then the Bitcoin Cash Network does a test, a so throughput it's, test. It's, it's more than a million. More, there are more, there are multiple blocks in the BSV network that have processed more than a million transactions in a single block. So again, every now and then they do a throughput test where for a short period of time- How do you know they... it's a throughput test? Are you aware that CryptoFights was a, a, a company that was using that was using the BSV blockchain for little micropayments? For their, it's like a little RPG phone app. And they were making it so that you were, you were using the blockchain to put data in. It was generating a massive amount of transactions. All right. So, so, so I, I agree that it is possible to have 32 megabyte blocks. Of course, to have Visa-like throughput, you need much larger than 32 megabytes. Okay. Oh, oh, and, I'm sorry. First of all, that that claim's incorrect. So to have what? To, so it depends on what year you're talking about Visa. So so you really don't need to have very large blocks to have massive throughput. We're already 32 meg blocks is already I think at the PayPal level. That's like 100 transactions per second, something like that. So so BCH can already process 100 transactions per second for doing a, a essentially a trivial uh, uh, block size limit upgrade that was being discussed back in like you know 2011 going to 32 meg blocks. Okay, so why is the Bitcoin community so opposed to large blocks? Because they are, they've are they been propagandized for a very long time. It's a, it's the it is a, the subject of the book that I'm writing. There is so much nonsense and misinformation. It is staggering. People do not understand the basics. They look, so I could say, why do people believe weird narratives surrounding COVID? Why do people have weird religious narratives that they believe? It's the exact same reason. There are some authority figures that were either co-opted or or they were, they were, a, a fooled accidentally and they keep repeating nonsense over and over and over and it's so, stuck. So your position is that the argument that the network cannot technically handle that transaction volume is false. Okay. If the claim is that it cannot technically handle the transaction volume, I'm 100% certain that's false. That's just a brazen lie. Now, if, if you want to make the more nuanced claim that it's not good because it centralizes the network, that's a... We can have that discussion. I would love to have that discussion. But as a pure technical claim, it is 100% a fabrication of whole cloth lie. Not true at all. Okay, so let, let me try to summarize. There's two visions. One, the Bitcoin vision is, uh, the Bitcoin core vision, as you would call it, is, is that anybody can run a Bitcoin node. Uh -huh. And uh, there's only, I don't know, 300 transactions per second. I forget the number. Uh, it's, a, and, it's three to seven transactions per second right now. Okay. 
Yep. And L- look it up if you think I'm wrong. And, and, and the three way to you, seven transactions per second on this new technology. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bespoke. And the way you scale is using a second layer network. And your vision is that um, um, there's only a few large full Bitcoin nodes and everyone else just, just only has the UTXO set for their wallet. And they, they basically don't, trust. They don't even have the UTXO set. You don't need the whole UTXO set. So that, that's the way SPV was designed is you need a small amount of information. That's the way Merkle trees work. You don't need to walk around with the thing going back to 2010. That's not how- Which it, allows you to verify your transactions only, yes. not anyone else's. Yes. Now I would also, I, I, we have to be careful. You know, Only a few nodes. Well, how many payment processors are going to be? How many companies actually are going to need to run their own node? I don't know. It might be in the thousands. I don't know how many nodes they're going to be. Well, r- what, right what now, I, what I can say with right now we have Square is- that has like I don't know, fifty percent or more market share of online payments. Is that okay to happen with Bitcoin? Where let's say Square goes into Bitcoin, and so it, only but there they isn't have the a full node. That isn't the so nodes don't process payments. The miners are processing the payments. So, so yeah, if you're talking about, that doesn't even make sense, market share of nodes. The nodes aren't doing anything other than verifying other people's transactions. They don't secure the network. They don't produce blocks. It would be a problem if we had some minor centralization of more than 50%. Yep, 100% agree, but that's a totally separate concern. But presumably payment provider and minor centralization go hand in hand. If Bitcoin becomes mainstream, no. who why, has the Why would you miners? think that a, that a payment processor would be a miner? The miners are in the business of burning electricity so they can, they can create blocks. Payment processors are in the business of merchant services. These are two completely separate industries. I, have no, I do not foresee a future in which miners and BitPay become one and the same. I don't foresee that hmm. at all. So who will run, do the mining? miners do the mining but i mean but yes but would it be large electric utilities i mean who does the mining right now right now it's a very edge case activity so very few or edge case activity bit bit main was one of the most profitable companies in the world they just invested like a hundred million dollars yeah but a hundred million is still trivial like Uh, no large energy company so here's who i think should be run mining Bitcoin is mainstream. There's no uh, should uh, in this. There's no should run my who would, should, would entrepreneurs. An, there's no yes, should or would in an equilibrium situation, which it, never exists in reality. There's an equilibrium is never reached. So okay, in reality, entrepreneurs will be mining, and I don't really care who they are. Here's my point. I think large energy producers are the ones that have the the best uh, okay uh, efficiencies of scale to become miners. Okay. Okay. All Let's right. say that's the case. Let's play out that scenario. So what I think is bad is if only a few entities do the mining, then they can collaborate. How how do small blocks prevent that? Allows anybody to easily buy uh, a miner and join the network. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Okay, nodes, not full mining nodes Mm -hmm. and non-mining nodes are two different things. Now it is more expensive, yes, for for a miner to be processing big blocks, 100%. But you're talking about companies that that are billion-dollar companies. And you're talking about how many terabytes per year? Okay, the cost, the cost of running a node to a miner versus the cost of electricity are like, I don't know how many orders of magnitude different that is. But if you're if you're going to be a relevant player in Bitcoin mining, you can handle a couple extra terabytes every year. 
or if it is used for micropayments, it will soon get into the petabytes. So it might be the case that at scale, we have the Bitcoin blockchain being, or a blockchain, I don't know, it depends on what you mean by Bitcoin anymore, being used for micropayments in which you'd have huge transaction throughput. Yes, and if that's the case, then big miners are going to be taking a lot of bandwidth. That's the case too. That that's a it will not be, be accessible for expense. anybody to just buy a miner and start mining. Okay, you'll need do you, a do you petabyte storage array. Uh, uh, sorry, are you making the claim, David, that right now the security of the Bitcoin network is is improved because anybody can buy their own miner? Maybe not one miner, but it is improved by the ease to entry into the space. And the ease to entry is 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 meaningfully different based on the block size limit and how many ter- so so we're if talking it was a about, petabyte it would be a major barrier i i think actually if you were to run the numbers uh you could have big companies that are, are going to be able to handle petabytes and also if we're at that level of scale what are the electricity costs going to be if you if you had bitcoin as it was originally designed and it takes over the world as it should have which it won't because it's been stunted by having small blocks uh the cost for mining are going to go through the roof for electricity costs. That's the vast majority of the expenses that, that the miners have, which is why the biggest miners in the world are supportive of big blocks. Of course, they're already spending unbelievable amounts of infrastructure money. So they, they want to be able to process more transactions, obviously. The, the security of the Bitcoin network is, is, is like eight years removed from, from a regular person being able to pick up a Bitcoin miner and have any relevant impact on the network whatsoever. Right. So, so miners do hold the power in the Bitcoin network, right? So because ultimately it's their hash power vote that determines uh, whether things are adopted. So maybe that, that's an that's an interesting discussion we sh- we should talk about. That's an interesting an interesting well, claim. The, the, the question is why haven't they uh, voted for big blocks? Because they haven't. Yeah. Well, they, well, they have. That's what Bitcoin Cash was. So Bitmain created Bitcoin Cash as a backup because they they thought, well, what if these Bitcoin core pieces of crap that have lied so many times to us decide not to follow through with Segwit2x as they promised they would? They said, well, just in case, let's have this backup Bitcoin cash. And, and go figure- because there's no this, market support for it. That's not true. What do you mean there's no market support for it? Well, what are you talking I mean, about? Talking the about 80% the price. of the network, 80% of the network of the biggest, economic players were all in support. All of the major economic players were in support, including the miners for Segwit2x, all of them. The biggest okay, so, players were in support. That, that is, so the reason it didn't But, but happen, ultimately it failed, didn't it? It did. That's a fascinating question. Why did it fail? This is, the, we have a long conversation on this. So this is also a subject of, of the book that I'm working on. I, uh, one of the, the reasons that can't be discounted if you actually talk to the entrepreneurs in this space is that they were being attacked by small blockers. That like, for Attack example, uh, um, a myriad of ways. So one of them Roger Veer talks about is um, he would have his company was getting email bombs. So like a Bitcoin.com, all of their uh, uh, email addresses were being bombed by, you know, 1,000, 10,000 uh, emails per day by people that were, uh, that were upset at them. When Bitcoin XT was founded, this was before Segwit2x, there was DDoS attacks uh, on XT nodes. There was a list that the Bitcoin uh, core crazies put out, the enemies of Bitcoin list on which there was coins. There were DDoS attacks on, all, in, on Bitcoin all, as well. All, 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 of, all of the relevant economic players were put on the big hit list, the Bitcoin core hit list. They had social media, media engineering campaigns where they said, oh no, so, for example, I know I know some entrepreneurs very well who have said, who are still in the crypto space and, and they supported Segwit2x and they said, honestly, 
uh, we, our company had serious problems, still had ongoing serious problems and failed in part because our reputation was attacked by the, the core crazies for supporting Segwit2x. There was attack dogs everywhere. The censorship was rampant. Uh, and they they bullied people into submission. That's what happened. That's one of the one of the many things that happened. It, it, it was a debate. I mean, you're not very compelling. We say people emailed spam to to, to force them to uh, oh, 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 go against okay. the blocks. So let's keep talking about it then. Okay. So some of the other things you could you could expect if you were supported Segwit two X was uh, you would have waves of fake reviews on your apps, and they would say, Oh my gosh. For example, I was connected with some people at BitPay. They had this big problem where they would get reviews on their um, on their wallets, they would say, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a scam wallet. I'm going to lose my money because it's not going to connect to the Bitcoin network anymore. And by that, of course, they meant the BTC one megabyte network and not BCT, the BTC Segwit2x. I mean, I think this is a little ingenuous. There, there were very high feelings on both sides. That there was dust attacks on Bitcoin for some time because people wanted to prove that it, it never cannot scale. Okay, okay. So I don't think the I don't know what you mean by a dust attack. We'll have to talk about that. But let's say there was a dust attack. A dust attack out there, like like it, it, what that means is a lot of transactions were made. Fake transactions. Okay, do you think that's doesn't matter? Fake transactions. That what what does that matter? Who does that affect versus having your company flooded by fake reviews online? You know, so some of these people getting death threats. Like, how how does how is this thing proportional at all? You're you're just not convincing me that because of all these things, miners decided to act against. Oh no, that's not the, that's not no 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 that's not the only reason. So so miners cannot act totally separately from the rest of the industry. If you're talking about miners versus the companies versus the exchanges, it's a complex a complex network here. So something else that happened is, um, for example, I think it was Bitfinex claimed that no matter what happened with Segwit2x, they were going to keep the one megabyte chain labeled BTC on their on their platform, BTC on the platform. So even if even if there was a majority miners that decided to upgrade to Segwit2x, they were not going to recognize it. Now imagine that you're a miner trying to make a decision, am I going to up upgrade to Segwit2x or not? And now you say the biggest, one of the biggest exchanges in the world is going to throw a huge wrench in the market by saying, well, they're not going to go with, the, with what the miners do. So suddenly you go, okay, well, the easier option is just not to do anything. Don't, don't, uh, we, we can't do this. This is going to cause a, a bunch of turmoil. That's just one of the, the other many things that have happened. Um, for example, oh. like you, you can, uh, another thing Mike Kern speculated about, Mike Kern, I think mm -hmm. is probably the best mind that has ever been in uh, cryptocurrency. He said uh, culture had a, 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 a there was a, was a factor. He said the Chinese miners absolutely did not want to be perceived as bucking authority. They said the, maybe it's because oh, they're Chinese. Authority? And that's the, the authority of the, the Bitcoin core developers that presented themselves as the authorities of the system. Now, not only theoretically, not only online, but if you are, if I have heard now from multiple people who have inside information on this, that when Bitcoin Core was, when Blockstream was trying to raise money from venture capital, they went around and pitched themselves by saying, we control Bitcoin. Apparently there's a pitch deck floating out there that they were, that they were pitching to VC saying, yeah, we control Bitcoin. So they presented, obviously presented themselves as the authorities in Bitcoin and the miners, despite wanting big blocks and had said so for years, did not want to break rank. This is what my current speculator and, I, and evidence suggests that's the case. And like there, there are still some some big miners out there that have sort of talked about this. And they, they you know, the, the whole split is in, in, in the back of their mind for them right now, but it does seem like they did not want to 
rock the boat and, and dissent from those that presented themselves as the authorities, the Bitcoin core developers and Blockstream effectively. So here we are four years later and miners are still behind Bitcoin and not... What do you mean they're behind Bitcoin? I mean, they they're, they're mining and still making... behind yeah, of Bitcoin, course, not Bitcoin Cash. That's, okay, so the reason that there are a lot of miners mining Bitcoin is not for ideological reasons. It's because that's where there's money to be made, obviously. So, and so in, in terms of their ideology, there are still quite a lot of old school big miners, Jihan and others, who are behind Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. There's a pretty big support in the Chinese community for BSV. So, well. so your, your position is that the reason that Bitcoin won the block size debate is because there's this ideology that, that the core team perpetuated that basically got a majority of the community on board and they bullied uh, well, the rest no, of the No, they compliance. definitely did not get the majority of the community on board originally. So the, the overwhelming majority, economic majority, the online majority was big blockers. And it had, had been that way until probably, I want to say 2016, probably as late as 2016. I mean, keep in mind, people like Adam Back were talking about you know, Bitcoin upgrades, two megabytes, then four megabytes, then up eight megabytes back in, I don't know, 2013, 2012, something like that. Like there was no, there was effectively nobody who had the position of the crazy rabid small blockers today. There was like nobody that I can think of. Even people like Greg Maxwell, you know, cra crazy as he is, was not a uh, one megabyte forever uh, 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 crazy person. In fact, in fact, there and, was a, nobody says SB one megabyte forever, just to be clear. Okay. Well, not one megabyte by now. <laughs> like, like if you think, you know, you're a tech guy, right? If you're trying to talk about the, realistically, the size of the blocks, it's, it's comical how small the blocks are right now. One megabyte every 10, a megabyte, that is a fraction of a fraction of a picture on, on everybody's cell phone every 10 minutes the the idea the is that <laughs> the idea is that we force the blocks to be small uh, we keep them small to force the second layer technology to evolve right okay uh, uh, so nobody uh, uh, disagrees a few, with that a few, part a few thoughts on that well i wouldn't say things so confidently like that nobody disagrees so, so go back in the forums let, 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 go let, back let, in the mailing let me clarify okay, the, the point okay, is okay. not that uh, we need one megabyte blocks forever the point is let's keep them small so that second layer solutions evolve right so, so I want to I want to talk about central planning for a minute. So, think how crazy this is, right? Satoshi Nakamoto designed a system that did not have inherent scaling limitations. He said himself verbatim, "It it never really hits a scale ceiling." That's a verbatim quote from him. Okay, so he thought, yeah, it's, it's you can have big blocks. That's how the system's done. Great. So, some other developers with a very different philosophy came in some years later, and they said, mm, you know, we don't like that. We think, in fact there should be full blocks. And instead of having effectively free transactions, we should have $1,000 transactions and we should have second layers. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Okay, and it just so happened that these people, yeah, all kinds of interesting little conspiracy theories I can I could throw out here that have legs, but we don't have to- A minority of them work for one company. Yeah, that was the case. That might not be the case now, but yes, the majority of them worked for one company employed at a very critical time in um, Bitcoin's history. Okay, so they say, you know, we have a totally different redesign that that's literally the exact opposite. Instead of free and instant global transactions, people don't need to run their own nodes, obviously. You have everybody should run their own node and uh, there's there should only be seven transactions per second and you should pay $1,000 per transaction uh, or plus, uh, or maybe more than $1,000. And uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then they say, ah, oh, you know, part of the reason we have to have small blocks is so that we can incentivize the other developers to work on second layer solutions. Which now, worked, by the way. My, 
What do you mean it worked? Where's the great effective second layer solution? It worked in terms of fracturing the Bitcoin economy into 10,000 different pieces. Well, it worked in the sense that I just purchased a book with Lightning Network and it was basically free. free oh, uh, and it was let, pretty let's, mature. let's talk about the Lightning Network then. Let's talk about how great this second layer technology is. Okay, so first of all, are we in agreement that you have to make multiple on-train transactions in order to use the Lightning Network? Sure. Okay, so what? So if we were to have the situation in which there are $1,000 transaction fees or more on the main Bitcoin network, how is that problem solved? If we have continued $1,000 fees, mm-hmm. I will join the rebellion and say this is a failed oh, chain. Okay, so, so but, how but then are you going to bring down transaction fees on the on the main chain? So, so You will have to mind. make the blocks bigger. If, if the fees go okay. up, then the current 20 cents to a dollar, you have to make the blocks bigger long okay, term. How, how, Okay, now that's, I'm afraid that's a very big concession, David. Well, so well, I think, if, if I think that's solution... not a radical position. I think this is a majority position that at some point, the blocks okay. have to be okay. bigger. How, how much bigger though? So maybe this is where we're going to find this cream. Well, I, I think my, my main point is the blocks should be full. Okay, no. Well, whatever no. size they are, they should the, be full. When the blocks get full, the fees skyrocket. If the blocks aren't full, you the really don't have go large up. It's, it's always an equilibrium. The fees go up. Right, it's the not, fees go I don't up know what until... you mean by it's an equilibrium. So there's a finite amount of space. As soon and and if if the space is not taken up, if the blocks aren't full, pretty much all transactions are going to get through. There's no reason. I mean, unless yes. you have like zero. Once cents, the blocks are are, okay. are full, then, then you have, have to decide people bidding many, against each other. They're bidding, and then that they decide how much they want to broadcast to to the chain and how much they want to reduce consumption. Right, it's a scarce commodity, so there's a market okay. it's dynamic. A, it's, so, so in How other words, there are, ver- there are very low transaction fees until the blocks are full. So it can't be, you can't simultaneously say, um, we need to have low transaction fees on the main chain and we need to have full blocks at the same time. These are mutually exclusive. People should, uh, so blocks can only go to 100%. So once blocks are full, people have to make decisions about what transactions go on chain. And so my point is that there should be an equilibrium where the blocks are basically just full up and people that would have made it to the, to the uh, chain instead decide to use some secondary solution. Okay, and so, so in your mind, you think that, what, that we're gonna have a group of developers who are going to divine equilibrium and they're going to say, ah, now there should be exactly 7,147,000 transactions. Okay, now well, we're going to have the block increase temporarily, though, because then it could go down, and then you just have empty blocks again. You can't have that, right? So we got to try it. We got to have to make sure we got to have the central development committee, one group of people saying this is what the block size needs needs to remain at in order to get close to equilibrium. Versus versus, mind you, the system in which you have no effective block size limit. You don't well, need any of this. It, it's a technical disagreement that this, whether this is feasible or not. And um, what is think- feasible? With what? What is feasible? To have unlimited size blocks. Well, look into it, David. It's not that hard. It's it is uh, it is one hundred percent reasonable. Okay, and not only is what, it why do you think feasible, you're qualified the, to make this technical? It's a, it's a very oh my gosh, David. I, okay, I will accept your apology in advance. All right. So after this call, call me out on it and see if the system is good enough where you can effectively have uh, no block size limit. Now that doesn't mean blocks of arbitrary size because. There are, there are beautiful incentives 
involved in Bitcoin. So miners run, run a risk. If they, have a, if they say, hey, you know, we have a huge mempool right now. We've got eight gigabytes worth of transactions. I'm going to push them all out at once. Well, that's not necessarily the right call because you, you have run orphan risks. So the miners themselves are trying to debate what is the correct size block. There's no, there's no one academic solution. Here is the correct size block, and it should move up by this percent. If the every blocks year. are too large, the network will fracture. At some point, it has to. Some, uh, uh, well, we have to speak very carefully. So if the blocks are too large in the short run, so if, for example, um, miners are expecting blocks between 10 and 100 megabytes, and then somebody tries to dump a terabyte block on there, that might cause problems. But the, the, it's not a problem from the network perspective. It's a problem from the miner perspective because miners will get forked off the network. So miners automatically have an incentive to try to make sure they're not pushing out blocks that are too uh, except large, you might such have that the majority can't it, handle them. The network itself could, could, could fork and now you have two competing networks, which has that, happened with other cryptocurrencies that had large blocks. Okay, so if you're talking about... Uh, if you're talking about like a reorg, that happens. That's okay. That, and, and again, that is a problem for miners. It's not a problem for the network. It's a problem for miners. Miners do not want to fracture the network because that means some blocks. Uh, except all down. transactions start failing when like- That's um, incorrect. That is theoretically incorrect and it's factually incorrect because it's happened multiple times on multiple blockchains and you don't- And actually what happens is the opposite. What happens is you have some miners that are- uh, are still on the main chain. Some miners are on the, the orphan chain, but the transactions are still propagated on both of them. So, so yeah, you have Except a the orphan chain is, is blocked at some point, right? Yeah, the orphan chain is orphaned off. So, but all the but transactions all the, go away. The, no, the transactions, are, they're still going to be present. They're going to be in a different order, but they're still going to be present on the main chain. This has happened multiple times. So, so the, the net effect is not really much of a service disruption unless you're a miner and then you lose all of your money because you produce blocks that were invalid. Okay, Steve, so, by the main chain. Yeah. so we can talk about this forever, but let me yeah. ask a question. What is your vision of the future of the space, of the cryptocurrencies? What, what I think is going to happen or, or what would I like to see happen? Well, let's say both. Well, I would like to see, uh, I would like to see people start realizing just how stunted uh, BTC has become. Like if, if you dive into the history and you actually think through these concepts very deeply, Think about the economics, think about the incentives, think about the technology. Don't just read the Bitcoin standard because he's wrong about a bunch of things. Doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Um, I would love to see people wake up because original Bitcoin technology, in my opinion, I'm, I might be wrong on this because I don't follow it as closely as I used to. Original Bitcoin technology looks like the best technology out there in the cryptocurrency space. You can do smart contracting. It's a little bit more complex, but I, I'm happy to talk about how you can do smart contracting with, with Bitcoin. And, and, uh, and by original, yeah. you mean Bitcoin just with larger blocks? Uh, no, unfortunately. So the Bitcoin core developers have changed several parts uh, of Bitcoin that made it significantly worse. So one is like, it's called replaced by fee, where you can essentially send, if, if your transaction is stuck in the mempool because the blocks are too small, oh, you can send that, another that transaction. That is my favorite feature. I replace by fee all the time. It's great because yeah, you can so, use low fees and then raise it if you need to. Yeah, so, so this is uh, terrible in my opinion. It's terrible for uh, a consumer experience, it's terrible, terrible for merchants. Um, and also it's, it's entirely terrible because you can't uh, immediately accept transactions with no confirmations or right. Confirmations. So, so imagine we're talking about digital money and the possibility of digital money. And somebody says, Hey, I have this amazing digital money. It's cheap and effective. You can send it anywhere, except every transaction. You have to wait at least 10 minutes in order to confirm. And the other person says, yeah, I have the same technology, except you can accept instant transactions. It's a no brainer in my mind. The, the ability to have instant transactions is phenomenal. And it always Replaced was. Like fee it, it is optional though, right? 
Uh, right now it is optional. Yeah. Well, uh, and merchants can can well, say we don't accept. Uh, that, that's correct. Yes. That might change in the future. And they've talked about changing that openly in the future. But right now that's correct. I'm um, sure. Let's get back to the question. How, right, right. how, do so, you, how, how would so, you like so, to see it evolve? So in, in addition to bigger blocks, there are other bad changes that the core developers have made that restricting the amount of data that can be made and put in transactions uh, because they have a bad idea of, uh, of the relationship of data, data in the blockchain. Um, I, I am much more. So in terms of a technological standpoint, I like the BSV technology. In terms of the community, they have some problems. BSV um, is I, just original Bitcoin. More or less. Boy, that's and quite a market. And its main cheerleader is a scammer who claims to be Satoshi. We can we can have an interesting discussion about that. Uh, is he yeah. is he a scammer? Is he a fraud or not? It depends on what you mean by the words. Um, I I think it's possible that he could have been involved or nearby. As some of my friends and I joke, um, he might have been around and like rummaging through the trash. He was like Satoshi's janitor. That might have been the case. I I can confidently say I don't believe he was the brains behind Bitcoin. But I'm but he, open to the not, idea not the most ethical around. guy. Well, that we can agree on. Yes, well, we can agree okay. on the ethics. And he's the main cheerleader of BSV. Yeah, so so interesting do, discussion. Do, do you read, okay, yeah. I don't follow this community that closely, sure. but whenever I read BSV's what, news websites, they're full yeah. of lies. Oh, yeah, that's definitely There's no way to recode it. Yeah, yeah, like CoinDeep. Yeah, okay. they're like a propaganda. So, so, yeah, totally. so uh, I mean, you can... No, but, but, I should, but I should say, cash, but... From, from my perspective, David, um, the same is true of Bitcoin. In fact, in terms of net amount of bullshit and propaganda, I would say BTC is probably like a hundredfold, a thousandfold more than BSV. <laughs> now there's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. There's outright lies about. Yeah, like, there are so many outright lies in BTC. I can name them off. All right, I mean, I'm sorry. Let's let's get back on topic. Right, right, what right. do you want to see happen in this space? <laughs> right. So uh, I would like to. I from a technological standpoint, I think if people were to objectively look at BSV and to a lesser extent BCH, they would go, "Wow, this is incredible technology! Look at all the amazing things we can do with it." I would love to see that be the case. In the long run, I do think the better tech will win. I might be wrong. I, I have evidence to the contrary that uh, the better tech might not win. Um, but I do Did, think- Have you put your money where the mouth is? That's none of your business. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, now, in terms of what I think will happen, I think personally, I, I tend to think that we're going into a going to be- a, going into a bear cycle that's very uh it's gonna be very extreme and the reason i think that is because i think we've so so as we've gone through multiple hype cycles you've got it's like a a bigger pool a bigger pool a bigger pool and then tom brady talks about it and then the state talks about it wow it just keeps growing in the hype 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 and i'm thinking okay at this point what is the greater sphere that the hype around bitcoin can go into it's like it's already we've got nation state involvement We've got all the, the influencers, it's advertisements everywhere. I just don't think, I, I might totally be wrong about this. I don't think we're gonna have another uh, 10X, 100X um, in Bitcoin, maybe ever. Now, I also think there are, there are massive technolo technological limitations that are all artificial that were put on Bitcoin that are gonna make it in the long run very unattractive compared to other cryptocurrencies. So I think, I think a plausible future is one in which uh, the religion won't die you know, I, I think the BTC is a religion and there are so there's so much misinformation and nonsense around it. I don't think it's going anywhere for anytime soon. It might hang around its price level. I don't know, within an order of magnitude, something like that. Um, but in terms of the future of cryptocurrency, I don't think it's I would be flabbergasted if it's BTC. The, the, the Lightning Network has fundamental problems. We, we only touched on the problem of uh, 
the high on-chain transaction costs breaking the Lightning Network. But there's other massive problems, capacity problems. You can't route um, Here's a- uh, uh, payments that are you know more than $100 without a high failure rate. There's all kinds of fundamental problems with Lightning. So I don't think the future is BTC. That much I can, I can say with some level of confidence. Here's what I get. There's like 20,000 cryptos and it's such a competitive market phenomenon yeah. that to say that this one technology is succeeding because of lies long-term yeah. Seems implausible. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's good. So imagine the story I've just told is correct. Like maybe let's just say for, you know, hypothetically, my understanding of Bitcoin as a, from a system standpoint I and mean, technological standpoint is correct. Then in fact, okay. it had all this ability and it was in fact hijacked. Um, I could make a pretty strong case for that. And I'm in the process of doing so. Um, if that's true, it certainly means that narrative power is substantial. And I, I, think, the, I think the recent events of the past few years uh, have have pushed me more into the camp of thinking, oh man, narrative is almost everything right now. Like people make their investment decisions. They think they know what they're talking about. They think they're escaping the state by buying well, Bitcoin. This, like, this is why we have religions and governments because they yeah, each have yeah. a narrative that's very powerful. So, so, something like that, something like that. And you know, if you have people who are miseducated for a very long period of time, it is hard to correct a lot of that miseducation. So, so I would say like a very compelling explanation for the relative success, the short-term success of BTC in terms of price can be entirely explained by narrative. And especially like there's a lot of evidence, right? Because you have otherwise prominent people who are speaking very confidently about how awesome Bitcoin is. They don't know what they're talking about. Factually speaking, they don't know how the system works. So that tells me, okay, facts don't, facts aren't really the thing that's mattering right now. I also think I should say uh, the inflation from the Fed might have really helped Bitcoin because the narrative is so strong with the digital gold analogy, an analogy I used to like before it turned kind of crazy. Um, that That is a very strong hook, digital gold, digital gold. So I think the fact that we've seen so much inflation of late is something that's also kept um, Bitcoin prices higher than they otherwise would be. Okay, so so what is the future? Which Which, I want to ask you, where will you put your money, but where should somebody that wants to preserve their wealth put their money? I mean, I can't, I'm not, that's not my business. I can't, uh, I can't do that. All I can say with confidence is people are deeply confused about the, how Bitcoin works, how it was originally designed to work, the history of Bitcoin, and they haven't thought through the system very carefully. So, 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 so buyer beware. If it's the case that what I'm saying is correct, buyer beware. Now, what do you think is more likely that Bitcoin will evolve or that some other crypto will take its place? The latter. Yeah. I don't, I don't. So, so in my opinion, we haven't talked about this, but I'd love to, an interesting subject. I think it was, um, I think Bitcoin was actually hijacked. So, so there's always, there's the eternal question, right? Are we talking incompetence versus malice? Like that is the eternal question. And I have, I have seen a lot of evidence lately in particular that it's malice or it's a mixture, of course, as it always is, but there's, I think there's malice involved. And so I don't think, um, I don't think BTC is going to be upgrading in any meaningful way. I don't think BTC right now poses any threat to the state whatsoever. All of the on-roads and off-roads are totally captured, centralized exchanges with KYC. It's like the, it's not, it's, it's captured system and it doesn't threaten the state. So I don't think um, I don't think that dimension is going to change. So I think other if we're going to have if cryptocurrencies are going to have any positive effect on freedom, it's not going to be BTC. What's going to be the killer app of cryptocurrencies? What major problem are they actually going to solve? I think well, right now I think micropayments is a big one. Um, I think that's that's one area where you have a un- you still have unique technology. And like, if people are not familiar with what you can do with micropayments, you have to, you have to you know, hold your nose 
and research what's happening in the BSV ecosystem, because there's some really cool stuff that's being built on it that, can, that simply literally can't be built with other um, technologies. Do you even yeah, need a decentralized platform for micropayments? Can't you just do that? Like, can't uh, uh, Square come out with a product where through Square, you micropay a bunch of merchants? Uh, it's possible. It doesn't exist. So uh, ah. just like um, online payments were made easier with Bitcoin and then the legacy industry sort of caught up. So it's a lot better with Venmo, like you were saying. Same thing could theoretically happen with uh, micro. It just it doesn't seem like now. something that you need a blockchain for or a decentralized network for. You could easily centralize that. And, and the, nothing big would be lost by doing that. Yeah. So I think one of the benefits that would come from that is, you know, if you're, as it used to be before blocks became full and the system was, was captured, there was so much momentum of people actually using the underlying technology. Then it had a chance to become a real currency, like a currency that we would use. And I mean, I used it many times way back in the day, you know, I, I would go to a store and you would buy stuff with crypto and it was great. It was a good user experience back in the day. So I think if we're going to, if, 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 Bitcoin is ever going, if cryptocurrencies are ever going to be money, at some point, they're going to have to be used as a medium of exchange. And if, if their first usage is, you know, micropayments or whatever, I think that's great. You know, the more, the more actual real world usages, the better, the closer we get to more freedom from so, having cryptocurrencies. So, so if you're a cypherpunk and your goal is to reduce the role of the state and, and yeah. create this market outside the state's control, your vision is that instead of focusing on uh, crypto as savings, we should focus on crypto as a medium of daily exchange. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the idea of crypto as savings right now is, is putting the cart before the horse. horse. So, so I don't think economically it, it makes sense that you're going to have people just buying a thing as a, as a supposed store of value. And then maybe, or maybe you won't be able to use it in commerce. I don't, I don't think historically or theoretically that makes sense. You um, think the uh, use in commerce is what gives a cryptocurrency its value? In the long run, I don't know if I'd say it gives it its value because there are other uses as well. It, it's the, I think it still remains the strongest value proposition of cryptocurrency. Yeah. Understood. All right. Well, we can talk, I feel like for hours. I think we could. I think, yes. I think we do have to wrap it up. Any, uh, any uh, uh, recommendations that you have for people to learn more about this debate? So uh, I wish I did. So this is part of the reason I'm, I'm writing a book on this topic right now. Um, but it's probably not going to be out until next year, some sometime. I don't know when. When that comes out, um, well, I, I'd be happy to happy to come back on your show and talk about it in more detail, and then I can give somebody a, a specific reference to it. All right, sounds good. Um, and meantime, your website is what is it? Uh, it's Patterson? Steve. Yeah, Steve-Patterson.com is my website. I All do right. a bunch of philosophy stuff, the occasional uh, Bitcoin commentary. Understood. All right, Steve, I really appreciate. It. Thanks for uh, being uh, on with me today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. All right. Thanks.